Hello, you're listening to The Rest is Education. I'm David Marshall. I'm Ross Borthwick. And I'm Isabel Rich. And we're looking today at homework, asking the provocative question, is there any point in homework? So this is a poem that I didn't know about until I started teaching primary school. And we started setting poetry competitions where children would recite poems, not by themselves, but some other people. And this poem just kept coming up year after year after year. It's called Homework, Oh Homework by Jack Prolutsky. Homework, oh homework, I hate you, you stink. I wish I could wash you away in the sink. If only a bomb would explode you to bits. Homework, oh homework, you're giving me fits. I'd rather take baths with a man-eating shark or wrestle a lion alone in the dark. Eat spinach and liver, pet ten porcupines, than tackle the homework my teacher assigns. Homework, oh homework, you're last on my list. I simply can't see why you even exist. If you just disappeared, it would tickle me pink. Homework, oh homework, I hate you, you stink. Does that does that tell us something about what children feel about homework, or is that a bit of a myth? The children hate homework. I mean, I, I'm sure when I when I was a child, I hated homework, but I don't know how universal that is. No, I I, I think I agree. I mean, as we're all been well, all teachers, and um, think of the celebratory noises that come out when, for whatever reason, there is no homework to be given that evening. There's barely a child that's asking you afterwards whether they could possibly have some homework. Generally, it's sort of great celebration, isn't it, really? Ross, do you want to start us off by defining what homework is? We think we know, but let's hear the definition. Sure. So I guess in a in a day school where pupils go home, so the vast majority of pupils, uh, in, you know, around the world, they're they're going to be taking home some form of task to, to complete and uh, there'll there'll be a deadline on that. And so how regular? I suppose it depends on the school, how much, you know, how difficult, how independent, all of that. I'm sure it varies place to place, age to age, uh, but essentially a piece of work to be done outside of school and and then usually anyway, brought back into school and, and evidenced. Sounds pretty clear so far. Can we ask already, or is it jumping the gun a bit? Uh, what's the point of it? There Isabel, is no Ross, any, there, there is, is no there point. Is, okay, there is. there is no point. Isabel. Oh, I would, um, I have mixed, mixed feelings about homework. I definitely am sitting on the fence on this one. I'm not in Ross's camp, but neither am I vehemently against. And I would say I'm the same. I, I, I can see lots of benefits to it. And actually looking at some of the research behind it, it makes me kind of more veer towards it than away from it. Some, something we're going to look at, which is perhaps familiar to quite a few teachers, is John Hattie. He does a lot of meta-analysis and he has this great new book out, which is effectively looking at the, the evidence for a whole series of different things. And one of the things is homework amongst many things in schools. He, interestingly, if we're looking at definitions, he says homework is schoolwork done at home. Therefore, if there's a problem with it or issues, it's for the school to resolve. And although that sounds, again, pretty obvious, like the word is literally homework, but it's essentially reminding us that it starts in school and and returns to school no I agree with your definition I um was mulling over whether we wanted to talk about work academic work that's done at home because that's something that can be proactively chosen by parents to do as well but maybe that's not relevant for this discussion should we have a look at a bit of research I think that's a great place to uh, start that's what I was going to suggest do you want us to lead us through that David Sure, I can go back to John Hattie, who I mentioned earlier. This is Visible Learning, the sequel. That's the meta-analysis of stuff. And as I said before, he said homework is schoolwork that's homework is schoolwork that's done at home. It's, it's in control of the school, and therefore we should think a bit about how we do this. One of the things he says quite clearly and strongly is that it's much better if it's shorter tasks and not too complex, not learning things that are new concepts, but rather going over things which children have already done in the sense of kind of some sort of revision. And he is using a various studies from different people to sort of to sort of say whether this is more or less effective. So furthermore, he says a shorter duration is more effective than a longer duration homework. And there is effect sizes for that, which I won't quote at you, but um, just believe me that they're a bit higher for the, the, the shorter homeworks. And he also sort of talks about deliberate practice, how it's important that um, it's really directed again at the things which they are practicing, which they've learned already in school. 
and which then is going to be revised, if you like. So the idea that we might set a homework to serve, I don't know, go away and learn this new thing, which they'd never been taught, is problematic. The other evidence that I've got here is taken from uh, the slightly awesome teacher in 2016. And his point of disagreement with John Hattie is that he says it should be novel or new. Uh, so he suggests pre-teaching using homework. Um, but both agree less complex. And Sally's is very, very much in favor of multiple choice homeworks. And he gives a few reasons why multiple choice is a great way of revising things. So he's similar in John Hattie to that respect. He says revising stuff is also good. And you can do revision using these quite simple multiple choice tasks, which then give you great quick data, which you can use to see whether children have learned it or not. So that's what I've got. Have you either of you found any other research and homework out there? This is based on memory, which um, in my case is not a particularly uh, good strength of mine. But I remember, and David, you definitely were at the school we, when we worked together during this bit of research, taking a step even further back than how to deliver the most effective style of homework, which is what you've just been talking about with John Hattie. I seem to remember John Hattie doing more um, general research into what is effective at academically progressing children. And there was a huge raft of categories from things like differentiation to setting children to their environment, to class size. And one of the categories that came up in this sort of overall general look at what is effective in progressing um, the academic ability of children and homework was definitely a category and I really strongly remember that it came down so low in the list if you were ranking everything that matters to progress the child's ability homework was so low compared to class size and differentiation and all these types of things so even if we take a step back um even before we're getting into this kind of small microcosm of what is the most effective homework um there is an argument to say that homework per se is just not one of the most effective drivers of a children's academic progress yeah, there's, there's a whole series of different things, aren't there? Uh, so in this book, it puts it, the effect size for homework overall is 0 0.29. And John Hattie traditionally has always said that above 0 0.4 is something that's highly effective and therefore something you should do in school. So 0 0.29 is under that effect size. From 0 0.29 isn't too bad. I mean, it's not, it's not like a bad effect in that sense. It's not certainly not made, having any negative impact. And because it's done outside of school, it's not taking any extra time for teachers in school in terms of it's not crowding anything else out the curriculum. So it really comes down to a lot about what we think children should be doing outside of the, the school that's going to impact their learning and whether that's worth taking their precious time up and they could be doing something else like reading, going places, doing clubs and sports and all those other things we want children to do, as well as just having a rest because the school day is hectic. The school day for, for most people is, I think, quite short, but I'm, I'm in a full boarding setting. And obviously we don't set homework because the pupils are here. And so really in terms of the variables, we, we control them. But um, we, it's not to say that we don't set the pupils' independent work. We do. It, it's called prep, where the pupils would prepare for a, a lesson. But invariably, to disagree with John Hattie's research, we, we go down the sort of Bergman and, and Sam's view of a flipped classroom approach. We, we certainly do uh, at my current school, and I think that's becoming more and more popular. Can where... you just tell us about the flipped classroom? Just remind us what that is. Of course, yeah. So it's this concept that actually the 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 first interaction with with new knowledge can be done independently and then the more exciting stuff can be done in the classroom so you know for instance um the opposite of a flipped classroom approach would be to sit digesting material for the first time as as a group in, in the classroom the flipped classroom would just expect that you'd arrive having done that and of course because in a full boarding environment we can control that within the school and and there's no reason why you couldn't do that in a day school if you if you put a session in the day where instead of taking work home say the day was longer and the pupils did the work in in that sort of um controlled environment where 
you know, that they could then sit and autonomously get on with something, but, you know, whilst being supervised to ensure that there's a, a mature academic environment uh, and that there are, aren't any distractions, then you could achieve the same thing in, in any school. It doesn't need to be a boarding school. I think what you're talking about, Ross, is um, so well suited within the secondary section, or certainly from key stage three onwards, isn't it? Once a child can confidently read, because then they can independently read and digest information that you then want to use in class. I'm interested to know that your previous school, which was primary, key stage one, key stage two, what whether that works in that setting or, or yeah less. so we we do that from from eight years old uh is is sort of how we would gear the preps yeah it's uh, it's a fairly established approach i think in in a boarding preparatory school and the interesting thing is that again sorry to sound like a stuck record but going back to hattie he says homework is more effective for secondary than primary and for obvious reasons isabel that you were sort of asking about and talking about the idea of them being able to read, they obviously can do a lot more at secondary and increasingly towards the end of primary, they can as well. Perhaps if we're talking about EYFS or key stage one, there's a really big difference between year to year in what children are capable of doing. Isabel, you've got some experience uh, with young children. Uh, your child's entered the school system now and you're seeing some homework come home. Yes, so I think this is one of the interesting conversations that we're just fleshing out here, isn't it, is actually this discussion about homework and whether it's pointless or not varies tremendously, I think, depending on what age the child is. I have a child in reception at the moment, and the absolute most important thing um, to be doing in reception with your child is um, practising reading. And that's essentially our homework. The class teacher cannot physically um, or does not have enough man hours in the day to listen to a child one-to-one -one read every day. That's just simply not possible. You might get it once or twice a week. Therefore, as a parent or a carer, you have to read with that child because otherwise they just simply won't make the right progress through their phonics. I read with my daughter um, every day and it's not for a huge amount of time, it's probably for 10 minutes. And then we're lured into the world of maths um, via an iPad and an amazing online platform called Doodle that we use. Most days she does literally about four minutes of Doodle maths and then she does her reading. And um, then they set open-ended tasks at the weekend, which you are totally and utterly optional to do, um, which usually practice a little bit of writing. So I am passionate that obviously reading has to be a homework that really um, continues until a child can confidently read. And unfortunately for parents and carers, uh, that doesn't go away um, quickly. Usually you should be reading with a child, as, as I know also because I've been teaching English, from reception, right up until about year four or five and that probably is one of the biggest jobs that needs to be done at home and then I do agree um I think there's some other really useful tasks to be done at home by parents things like um practicing times tables doing spelling or vocabulary practice learning for things like if your child does French a French test that kind of stuff like you know as teachers we're all teachers there's things that you just don't have time to spend enough time in the classroom on which just take up valuable classroom time um, like the times tables I also think um, when they get a bit older things like finishing a lovely coloring in thing that you've um, if you're a geography teacher or teaching history and they've done some amazing picture I remember doing tropical rainforests you're not going to use half an hour of a lesson for them all to color in their tropical rainforest so they feel really proud of the piece of work but it's really important to them that is the perfect thing to send home um, to get done there that's why I kind of sit on the fence with homework. I think there's some really good, useful things to be done at home. But the list is quite short. And I don't feel that I don't get the sense that teachers should feel compunction, certainly in key stage one or two, to be setting loads of homework. That's my view. So I, I couldn't agree more about reading. I think reading is the single most important thing you can do. And I think the earlier you do that, I think it just opens every other door. Uh, and so I think, you know, if that's being done at home, that that's fantastic and and perhaps the school does have a role in in promoting that you know and and i think the example you gave earlier perhaps before we even started recording about the school sending uh you know set texts home and things to be read you know in eyfs I, I think that's brilliant i think 
in terms of the use of everyone's time, for me, there are too many variables. But the, the further up you go, it's, it's more exaggerated. But if I can give you an example, if, if you were to, let's say, set even a flipped classroom activity, and you were to set that as homework to, I'm just going to randomly pick a year group, year six, and, and they had to spend, say, 40 minutes researching a topic that then you were going to do a piece of work on in class. That work will go home, hopefully, and, um, you know, whether it's being set on Teams or whether it's being written in a book or, you know, however it's communicated with home, that will go home. Now, depending on the provision at home, the quality and time spent on, on that one task will vary enormously. That could be anything from literally nothing because the child, there's no support at home and the, and the child isn't encouraged to, to actually do it uh, right through to the opposite end of the spectrum where, you know, that piece of work has basically been done by a parent or a, a tutor. And the child is actually in that sense, almost uh, as less, you know, as um, removed from the actual learning as the child who did nothing in the first place, because they're just sitting there observing someone else do the work. And I've, I've heard and come across sort of both ends of the spectrum and everything in between. And so then when you do enter the classroom, you're you're dealing with really just a whole myriad of, of different takes on on the homework. And, and so if if we go back to what Hattie was saying about it being almost school's responsibility, I found that very difficult because, you know, you've then got everyone at different starting points and it's it's really tricky. And for, for me, I'm, I'm convinced about the, the benefits of the flipped classroom stuff. Um, but again, you know, the same argument applies, um, you know, if it was, say, times tables or some form of, of um, grammar exercise, you know, it, it's the same, but, but different. I think this is where it comes back to what Sally's was saying in the short activities and multiple choices. So one of the things I've started doing recently, because I've realized that children really need to secure their grammar in year five and six ahead of tests that come up. I'm sort of going back to Sally's and saying, well, okay, how can I use homework to be a really good revision strategy for what we've done in the lesson or what we've done last week? And, you know, Ross, you you and I have talked a lot about interleaving and spacing being a really good system of, of you know, leaving a bit of time before you retest. We've also talked about kind of that testing effect and the history hashtag, which I remember you used to do so well. And that could just be transferred so easily to homework with a multiple choice activity. And because of the pandemic, you know, so many schools have now really utilizing online platforms far more than they were before. We've got Google Classroom and you can just create forms which are effectively quizzes online. And the great thing is it'll market itself. So it'll give you the data. It'll tell you the ch children who've done well and what they've done well on. But it will also give you the overall data for which questions the children aren't getting right. So last week I set a, a one on pronouns because in my previous school, I would teach pronouns, right? And a few personal pronouns, possessive pronouns. Now children need to know reflexive pronouns. They need to know interrogative pronouns. They need to know demonstrative pronouns. There's a lot more to know. And I have to see if they've learned it. Now, I know that they could have a parent behind them helping them, and that's absolutely zero impact. I'm trusting them, and I talk to them about this, that you can actually you do it yourself. You know, this is about you showing me you can do it rather than your parent. There's nothing to gain from your parent doing it for you. But that sort of data is really useful for me in showing what I need to teach next lesson. So it's assessment for learning. And it's also really useful to see the individual child what they need to, to develop on so it's kind of in that sense assessment for a particular child rather than just going back into your teaching is yeah, I, I have a massive problem with with that form of homework being used as as assessment you know even formative assessment because really you've got no control over the 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 um setting in which that homework was undertaken you know and and i know that ultimately you know you're saying you're having a mature conversation with the pupils but believe me there are some parents out there who they they think that the stakes are so high uh, particularly in in some schools which are really geared up towards exams and i think they might see the results of any form of homework as maybe having a bearing on which set the child's in the child's report their assessment and i think as soon as you use that to inform your 
really your view of, the, of their ability in the subject that's what that will actually ultimately undermine the the whole point and setting in the first place because that, that that'll accelerate the um the want for these parents to be involved so yeah i i just well you know my stance on it i just think it's uh flawed from the outset Oh, I'm with David on this one. Um, I, I think, yes, I'm the more I think about it, the more I think short for this is certainly key up to key stage two, really. I think short, discreet homeworks the way forward. Because also, um, not only am I a mum, but I'm also um an evil tutor as well of English. And there are moments where I have to do homework with children, just um, it comes up. And it is such a good insight and reminder of how anything beyond some discrete little activity is really difficult for a lot of just bog standard average students. You know, even a comprehension that we rattle off on the photocopier and give to them can be so overwhelming at 5.30 or 5.45 at night to start doing. And God forbid some of the kind of um, holiday homework revision packs I've had to deal with they're just so difficult. So having a been a mum and seen how tired children get at the end of the day, um, and be sort of done some tutoring of the more kind of what I call hardcore homeworks, it really made me think twice if I went back into teaching what I would give to children. Because actually, the other thing that, um, sorry, just to kind of add on to that as a parent and with these tired children is the, the modern phenomenon of the after school club that one is now contending with as well. There's been such a rise in how many clubs children are doing after school, um, sometimes because they've got working parents and it's linked onto school. Or, you know, if you're in the uh, maintained sector, um, parents panic and feel that they should be doing a lot more sport, etc. after after school. And therefore, children are, you know, trotting off to school like 8.30 or 9 in the morning, and they're often not finishing their um, school day plus a quick snack and a club until after five for you know seven and eight year olds and that is late it's a long day so that's the other thing I'm contending with now is is that type of activity competes yeah and I think we should really talk about motivation here which is something we talked about before if you are feeling tired and I've been glad that I've been a tutor before uh, very briefly for a time and I've seen a child throw a tantrum because this work seems overwhelming or the fact they're having been forced to do it on a weekend or in the holidays I think motivation in terms of the homework I was I've, I'm starting to set there are 10 questions and I like that any child can attempt those 10 questions I'm aware Ross of the problems with reliability I'm not going to be giving reports on the 10 questions that they're going to do in this one Google Classroom quiz. Neither am I going to be adding that to my data when I kind of tot up the data at the end of term. It does not get recorded in that sense. We are talking low stakes here, not high stakes. So the assessment is formative. And I think it is valuable in that sense because the motivation is high to achieve. It's like a game. And the idea is that, yes, they could have adult help, but then it's my job to educate the adults and to educate the children that this is something for them to do. And that's what Hattie says, you know, effectively there's zero and very little impact for parents helping children with their homework. So we've got to be setting them something that's achievable and we've got to be setting, setting them something that feels motivating when you get good results. I want them to get 100% on this homework. So the idea is I've taught them well enough that they get it. But if they don't, I can tell by the incorrect answers, not the correct answers, I would say, Ross what they need to work on because the incorrect answers are more likely to be accurate, if that makes sense. So in that sense, I think my formative assessment is, isn't tainted by that bias because I can still work out what needs to be developed. And I don't really take note of the fact that they've got hundred percent. That's great, but it goes down in no mark books at all. So I think motivation, one thing, keep it short, keep it manageable, keep it successful. And the other thing is, formatively how how what do I need to teach next can I move on from this topic it's not the only type of assessment I'll be doing for that topic I'll be touching on it in other ways of course but it's something that's feeding back into my understanding of them as as learners so let, let's have a scenario so you set your 10 questions Isabel sits down with one of the pupils in your class and does their homework for them 
And what have we learned from that? We've learned that Isabel is very good at pronouns. Uh, yeah, and uh, I tell you what, actually, I was slightly terrified by the list of pronouns they now need to know. Um, I um, One thing that you can argue with is if it, you're doing it with a tutor, and if the tutor is good but doing it hand-holdingly, is that they are going back through and talking about pronouns again. They are being re-exposed to what happened in the lesson. So that has to have some benefit. Um, and that's what we keep talking about is the fact that actually returning to things, it's like doing your spelling practice or your times tables practice. Um, you know, keeping on revisiting things is important. I mean... Um, so the, the the sort of socialist inside me is, is just sharpening the pitchfork at the moment because there, there'll be so many pupils out there who won't receive any support and therefore won't be going back over those pronouns. And so the the advantage is just is whirring away uh, and, and, you know, just oh God, I, I find it's just really quite frustrating. I think, you know, <clears throat> David, how how long would you say it takes you to, to set a piece of homework for one class and then review it? So in your in, you know, how long would it take you personally? Well, if it's the kind of old style finish this piece of writing, it takes five seconds to set the homework yeah. because you just say finish the piece of writing. Now that is added to that, the whole rigmarole of them getting their homework diaries out and writing it in. I now put every single homework on Google Classroom. I mean, I don't always put the activity on there because I don't always have a digital copy, but I will put I will write up their homework for them. So there is a double, they're double copying it everywhere. So there's there's less and less chance that they're going to forget it. And also it's a it's a backstop for me when the parents say, well, they didn't have their homework written down. And I say, well, did you look on Google Classroom? Because it's there. And not only is it there, but you'll find the spelling list is there as well. Plus sometimes I do go up and I put up, um, like rarely, but I will put up a video of myself talking about them through the homework if I feel they need a bit of extra help. So I'll... You know, I'll say, look, you can do this on your own, but if you really want to, you can go on Google Classroom and there's a video of me talking you through how to answer this and get really good results. So there you go. So there is a lot of work. When I put more work into it, rather than just saying, finish the piece of writing, when I do create these tests, like the pronouns one, or when I create a video explaining the homework a bit more, that is digitally there for next year. So I have every year I'm building up a bank of resources that I can reuse and reuse and reuse that are making homework more impactful and more effective in my opinion. Yeah, and so I think obviously it's labor intensive in the first instance, isn't it? To create those videos and to create those meaningful resources. But um, once you've got them, I guess, you know, that that's great. And presumably, you know, you'll be teaching the same content or, you know, you, you might well be. Um, I, I was then gonna ask, do you then review it? That's trickier because, you know, time is short in the classroom and, um, I, flip, I, I, you know, this week I put it up on the board and I said, look, this is the, this is the pronoun that we are all struggling with because that's the one that you've got the least results for. And if I have time, I'll pull a child or two to one side and say, hey, you know, uh, you scored a six out of 10 on this. What are you finding tricky? It looks like you need to revise this and, and let's come back to this. And I, I will also return to that, obviously, as a lesson, if, that, if that's something that needs to be gone over. So, so you use in different ways the lesson to do it. I use fragments of time within between other things when I'm uh, just sort of fitted in. I don't spend a full 15 minutes or even a 10 or five minutes necessarily. Probably the maximum I will spend time reviewing with a class is five minutes because there's just so many things to do. It sounds like you're spending some time per, per homework, but that you may wind up spending more time than in the first instance, you know, if you come back and revisit the same thing so that you could, in theory, be spending more time on it. You know, you could make the argument that it, you know, it could, could be worthwhile spending more time on that topic. And then how long would you expect the child to spend at home doing that same piece of work on average? So we say half an hour for say a year five child and the year five child in the UK is uh, currently most of them have turned 10 already they'll by the end of year five which is where we are now half an hour is what we say but i think a lot of the complex homeworks we set children going back to isabel what you were saying take longer than half an hour 
and for them to do well. If you were writing a piece of writing, for example, that required research or required them to think a bit, um, I think we're, 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 we're relying on the ones who are really committed and, and will spend that extra time to do the good homeworks and the other ones sometimes be falling behind. I don't know, Isabel, if you have thoughts about this. Yeah, I tell you what, um, as um, you two know, but maybe the listeners don't, I haven't been in a classroom teaching in the traditional sense for five years now because I've been having small people. Um, and I have to say now I, which means it's great. I have the experience, but I feel like I can also step a little bit further back and think, what would I do if I was going back into the classroom in September and being head of English again? And you know what? I think I would be a lot braver about homework and not feel any pressure from parents or management about it and think it is wrong to set these, what we would call a meaty homework before key stage three. I, I just think asking children at 5.30 on a Tuesday night to do a comprehension or write anything creatively, unless, as you say, David, it is literally finishing off a piece of work, it's just not good for their mental health, their um, chances of being successful in it. And I wouldn't do it. I would literally be sticking with reading, spelling practice, and as we've talked about, David, discrete grammar practice. And I think, again, if it's for topics and the humanities, which Ross, you know a lot more about than I do, but it literally would be doing things like finishing off a bit of classwork. And or, as you say, reading something, if they're capable of all reading, um, something that would be really useful for um, the next topic. But again, Ross, I think um, to your point about would everyone have read it? I've got as a big risk going into a class um, lesson, relying on all children who have done it. Um, one other thing I was thinking about, about how to make homework as effective as possible is um, perhaps not um, moving away a little bit from it being very prescriptive that your history homework's got to be done on a Wednesday, you know, making sure they've got enough time um, in the week to, to make sure that they can succeed. So if they've got a whole week to have read their little passage ready for their next history lesson. Because again, going back to this point about the rise of clubs, um, you know, I now know on a Tuesday that uh, primaries go swimming at 5 30 in the evening which I think is probably common for lots of children I, I couldn't physically get any homework done on a Tuesday so I need the flexibility of the weekends or of a quieter night to be able to get things done so I think if I was planning homeworks as a sort of big job thinking about the whole school there needs to be lots of flexibility about when they get done they need to be discreet really useful or not given at all and not these mega homeworks. That's, I think, where I'm sitting now. David, over to you. I mean, I I have to say, I'm I'm the opposite in one of those things you said. I, I'm agreeing with a lot of what you said, the discrete, the uh, not being a bit more kind of, I think, I can't remember the word you used, but being a bit bolder about taking charge of the homework as a teacher and not being swayed by the ideas of what you should and shouldn't be doing. But the one thing I disagree about is the the timing of it, because I'm aware, for example, that my year fives have a photography club on a Tuesday and so many of them, like 20 of them do it, that if I set a homework on a Tuesday, which I do have a homework on a Tuesday, I shouldn't set it for Wednesday. However, I found that setting a homework ideally for the next day or a mix of homeworks that are done for the next day and maybe one that's got a week to do it is the best route because at that area of mid key stage two, I think children are still working out how to organize themselves. And sometimes you need a very hard get this done tonight because it's actually the children who struggle with organization and management. And we know those children tend to be the ones who also have learning difficulties they're the ones often with dyspraxia dyslexia um they are often the ones who struggle organizationally not always and those are the ones that are going to the homeworks are going to pile up if you have three subjects giving a week to do two homeworks each you can get a pile up of homeworks on a weekend suddenly sunday night they panic and you have a child in tears because they've got inordinate amount of homework to do so what i do is i operate a very strict next day policy with a very kind, if it's not handed in on the time, I'll give you a day. Okay, I'll give you another day. And then then I start emailing parents if it's two days late because I don't want to build up for them. But then I, I run one that runs over a whole week that has this, that they know runs Wednesday to Wednesday. 
and they're usually ones that I say they can move with it. So it's allowing that flexibility, but within quite tight control as well. So, and it's really knowing the children and what clubs they do. Ross, I don't know if you find with prep, because prep is effectively homework, but you tell them when to do it. And that's similar, but even more tightly constricted. So, yeah. So what I, what I was going to say earlier is that, you know, if we've established that you're expecting year fives to spend half an hour plus on their work every, let's say they get a piece a day, at least one piece a day, some probably get more, I don't know. And then teachers are spending some time preparing, some time reviewing, maybe even some time, uh, you know, actually um, jotting down formative assessment and, and, you know, keeping that logged somewhere. Why don't? we actually learn from from the boarding setting and put in a prep slot make the day longer by the same amount of time that it would take the pupils to do their homework at home and just have either a prep session as you've just described david david which is basically a controlled environment where the pupils do their homework or actually just more contact time because that time that the teacher has to have where this probably isn't going to be popular with those working in the day school. If you're spending that time anyway, setting and reviewing it, and it's being done poorly, or rather it could be done better, and you're going to have to then use lesson time to go over it again, you may as well just teach it to them in the first place. Now, I personally think that the prep option is better, but I'm, I just think in terms of like everyone's collective time as a resource, it would be better spent just adding a session on to the end of the day I'm aware that's really provocative. Well, we did in, in Shanghai when I worked at Wellington College, they did prep. And I think that's because they were, although they were not really a boarding school, they had a tiny number of boarders, but they it was majority day pupils and they still had prep. And I think that's because they were basing their whole system on Wellington College in the UK and they'd imported it wholesale, including prep. And it worked very well because my year fives did with me that 45 50 minutes of prep and then they went off to do their clubs after prep and the day finished slightly earlier because of that so our teaching would finish i can't remember exactly what time it's something like quarter to three and then you'd have a prep effectively prep hour and then a, a clubs hour and they still left in pretty good time to get home and do whatever else they did so i don't think there's any problem with that and i actually think it worked quite well do we want to though talk about the whole independence and i know we should probably talk about secondary school and how increasingly important homework is uh, for, for when you get up to GCSE and A-level or IB, because children are going to have to be increasingly independent with their revision and their work. And then at university, we don't want them to fail because they can't be independent. And the, the higher up you go, the more study periods you have during the week as well, I think, where you're supposed to be managing that time, aren't you? And, you know, there'll be those that slink off in, in lower sixth and try and get themselves in a the pub somewhere. Uh, and there'll be those that, you know, do do hit the library quite diligently. And I think, as you've rightly mentioned, David, the trouble is that the data, certainly when I was at university over a decade ago, the pupils coming out of independent schools, one of their, one of the um, struggles really was that they underperformed when compared with state educated pupils because they tended to have had that support and and by by support it's difficult for some people to imagine what prep looks like essentially what it looks like in in the let's say three or four settings i've worked in where where it is the case people sit down and in silence they do the tasks that are set with no help at all or intervention from a teacher however the teacher is in the room to to enforce that those conditions are kept and that it is fair um, obviously, the teacher at that period can be doing something, you know, useful um, in terms of maybe doing a bit of marking or a bit of prep for themselves for the next day. Uh, and, and so that that's sort of how it looks. So in, in that respect, there is a bit of support there that independent school pupils have received. But I think once they get to university, it's the conditions that they don't have. And and I don't know whether things have changed, but it, it was certainly the case, as I say, over a decade ago that they were underperforming because they weren't as independent. That's definitely one of the major positives of homework, isn't it? It's this concept of teaching independence and responsibility. And I think what we're realising is that that can start at a very small scale idea in key stage one and two. And probably I'm beginning to realise that the scale of homework should be less 
in those two levels and then it just sort of gradually ramps up through key stage three and on yeah there's no there's no reason against that i totally agree it engenders independence and responsibility and at, at some point that needs to start happening can i move on to one other topic as well that i wanted to discuss with you two it's the thorny issue of holiday homework uh, because I think, Ross, to your point, I can see why you would be against it, because it's, again, it's very, well, you're relying heavily on parental input, organisation, availability, often for these things. But it's so visible, as we know, as teachers, and certainly also being a parent now. And so as a as a parent of a little person, what I really enjoyed is being given a, what's called an optional homework, nothing, no homework is optional in the rich family, being given a little pack of things that you can do through the holidays, I really enjoyed. And it's nothing more complicated than some twinkle photocopying to keep us chugging on practicing our homework of handwriting and reading and writing practice. And it's been great. Clearly, I've got the wherewithal to pop onto Amazon and um, other brands are available and buy myself some workbooks. But there's a big difference going back to the motivation point, even when they're five, dangling something that says, oh, now we really have to do this because Miss Pope would make Miss Pope so proud if we got through our holiday pack and we just chunter through a little bit most days to get it done. And that also, as a parent, removes the potential argument involved with you personally buying a book from Amazon, which you then say, right, we're going to do a couple of pages of the phonics workbook I've bought, because it becomes a relationship that's about the school have asked us to do this because it's good for our learning. So let's do a little bit together. Again, I think it needs to be really discreet activities or totally optional open-ended things. But I've really enjoyed being given a bit of direction from school just to um, keep us ticking over, actually, over the summer. I'm not sure what you two think about it. Who wants to go first? Quite happy to. Um, I mean, I, as, a, as a new father, I can tell you my daughter's going to be dragged around every museum from here to here to Inverness uh, and back again and I think you know for me the holidays are about culturally rich experiences and and not things like not things that could be done in a classroom for me and and the way I see it is is very black and white in that I love taking trips during term time and and they're purpose driven and they're either linked directly to the curriculum they might fall just before an exam and and they're really rich experiences and and I would never ever get a worksheet out on one of those trips and I I just think it is a complete waste of time you can be doing that sort of stuff in the classroom during term time. I just feel that um, I totally agree with a subject like history, but when you're teaching nuts and bolts subjects like literacy or numeracy, if they don't practice some of those skills regularly, whether it's their times tables or how to do column addition or uh, how to write a guff a goat, they forget. I, I couldn't agree more when you've got older children, maybe it's that I'm skewed towards the lower end at the moment where we're learning our foundation skills. Maybe that's what it is. It's about learning foundation skills. That's when we do need to do more of the type of nuts well, and bolts. Okay, stuff. so I'm, uh, I'll give you an example. So um, <clears throat> at the sort of, uh, let's start at the bottom, uh, lower end. So I was uh, recently at the National Trust at Nyman's and there were older pupils who I assume are in sort of EYFS and, and go to school. They were there at the weekend and there are all these boards that they can read. And I thought it was lovely that the parents were taking them up to the boards and they were lifting the flaps and they were reading all the words and they were fully involved in this trail. But there was no sitting down with a worksheet and, and pencil, you know. And then later at the cafe, there was a guy telling a story and, the, you know, there's the option to dress up and sit and listen to the story. And I just thought they're the sort of really rich experiences which people should be taking part in in the holidays and and obviously you need to be fortunate enough to, to um be a, be able to access those uh that particular example anyway but but that for me that that's what they should be doing in the holidays not sitting down you know chewing through a worksheet but but there's time for both though there's time for both of those things you can be um, going to a national trust house and doing a worksheet. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm sure. I'm sure. 
Um, now, like to, to give an example of older people, so um, Aaron, who obviously co-hosts this podcast, he, he and I ran a, a series of, of day trips for London day school pupils, uh, when was it, probably five years ago, four, four years ago, something like that. And uh, we, they were educational trips, but they were also really fun. And we tried to get the balance right. And because it was the weekend and the day school pupils, we, we really had to think carefully about um, really the, the pupils having a good time. And so like to give an example that pops up, we had uh, a trip called Zoo Canoe. So we took pupils to London Zoo, but we canoed there. Uh, and then we saw the the animals at the zoo and we you know read the boards and and took part in some workshops and and then we canoed back again and i just think that as an experience is exactly what people should be doing the holidays and it was educational you know they learned an awful lot but they they didn't necessarily need to to sit down and put pen to paper but but i, I you know i i also agree with you that you you can do both i would just say really what are the holidays for you know and uh, some people's, I mean, I'm thinking about our boys and girls, they've got very long days, they work really hard. And when it comes to the holiday, I personally just want them to enjoy themselves. And and that doesn't mean not learning, but it just means, you know, maybe learning in a more immersive way. Uh, the tricky thing, though, and this is where I'm, uh, my hand's been forced, because I, I am going to have to to set homework, uh, is exams, because often exams can fall after a holiday. And so the parents then want and and ultimately there is a need to provide some form of, of revision. And so that at certain age, you know, at certain periods in a child's education, that might be necessary. But but I, I don't like it. <laughs> what are your thoughts, David? Uh, you've heard us go in great guns on either side. What 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 are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I've been listening. I mean, I'm slightly keeping quiet because I am setting a big summer pack for the year fives who are doing 11 plus <laughs> next year. I think it's practical in that sense. But I would say if, if summer holiday homework is the answer, what's the question? To answer that, I'd say, well, learning loss, which is, you know, Isabel, you're talking about foundational development and this hugely long summer holiday, there is a learning loss that happens. In fact, when they wanted a model for the learning loss that happened over COVID, they had to use summer holidays because there was no other basis for how they could think about the learning loss that might happen when children aren't in school. That was the kind of concept they were using. And it does happen over this long six, seven week period. And I think what we should probably look at is what's the situation for most vulnerable pupils, for the pupils with the lowest attainments and the ones who do not have parents who can work on worksheets with them, the ones who perhaps don't have English as their first language, perhaps don't speak English, some of their children are speaking multi-languages. The, the children who perhaps, how are they going to access this holiday work? Maybe it can be made accessible for them. You know, for example, quizzes and, and short activities and things that will enable them to, to, to do something. I would probably prefer for some children, the, the lowest um, achievers and the most vulnerable children to be able to go to holiday camps. And I think that what would be wonderful to see is some money being put aside. I know this does exist in 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 some way. I don't know a lot about it. For children to go on holiday camps that they can be supervised, they can be uh, given skills, they can be done at some light games, some little bit of light catch-up stuff, and also maybe do some football as well, or, or maybe could be a football camp, which has kind of mornings where they do an hour of work followed by the rest of the day football or something just something where they can be given some in some excitement some fun and some learning and also their ch parents don't have to supervise them uh, they don't have to be left unsupervised so I think for the that that would be my preference for for children who, who are struggling and for children who you know perhaps are not Yes, I'd like not to be able to give holiday packs, but I do think that there's a sort of like Ross, there's a certain need, a certain sort of immediacy to to, to exams that come up that, that maybe needs a bit of ticking over. Ross, you've got some more thoughts. Yeah, so I think, you know, the, the holiday camp thing is is really interesting. And I think particularly, you know, underprivileged children who are, go are going to just be worse off as a result of maybe not being able to access those. I, really, really going going back to the, the holiday thing, because skill fade, as you say, is real. If we accept that, 
why on earth do we have such long holidays? Well, I can tell you why. Because we used to need the manpower. We needed the pupils to be home to help with the harvest. Okay, but ultimately, we don't live in that sort of, you know, almost like pre-mechanized world. Uh, we don't need people's going out, bringing crops in. And so they do not need a six or seven or eight week summer holiday. And I'm just going to throw that one in there. I know it's a real hand no, grenade, um, but it's, we, are, it's... we have a Victorian, pre-Victorian even system of education and it needs a real overhaul. No, I totally agree because... Um... the school that my children go to um there the vast majority of parents are, are dual income working parents and so um the summer holidays which is because we're in the private sector is eight weeks long is viewed with utter horror and fear because you are then left circling through holiday camps grandparents fudging it where you take a bit of holiday and then your partner does It is so difficult. And I totally agree. Um, you know, obviously being a teacher, it's absolutely glorious to have um, the best months of the year off and not teaching and being in the classroom. But if you stand back, it is the most antiquated um, concept of how to be teaching children in an effective manner that should, should no longer exist. It's crackers. So that's, um, I'm in total agreement, Ross. For, for me, this conversation, I think, has, has just created loads of questions. And, and I'd love to, to pursue some of those, those avenues. Um, I know we, we've talked about, we've touched upon tutoring. I feel like that's probably worth an episode. Uh, I think, you know, we could go down, the, we didn't sort of look at differentiation, but is homework also being differentiated? And, you know, that differentiation is something that we can really go into. Uh, there are honestly so many questions, holiday camps, you know, what, what they look like. And uh, Isabel, you mentioned, uh, you know, after school activities and, and the perceived sort of rise of those, we could go into that as well. So um, it's been a really rich conversation. And yeah, thank you very much for coming on. Well, Isabel, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure to have you and for us to have this conversation. And I just want to say that, like Ross, it's it's brought up a lot of questions and I think we should return to some of these in the future. I really enjoyed coming on board to your podcast again. I feel very grateful that you'd have me for a second time. And I've enjoyed this kind of slightly controversial, thorny conversation about homework. So thank you, David. Thank you. And I'll say from myself, David Marshall... Isabel Rich and Ross Borthwick, you've been listening to the three of us talk about homework. You've been listening to The Rest is Education. Thank you for listening.